Go with me to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, we're working our way through Jonah. We'll be here this week and next week, and then we will be moving on to our series called The Gospel and Kingdom, where we'll seek to trace the theme of the kingdom through the entire Bible. It'll be a very overview, nine weeks, kind of an overview of the entire scriptures. I want to read to you from Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we'll be through verse 4 this week. He says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Let's pray. Gracious Father, merciful Father, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, O Father, and one who is relenting from disaster. May we see ourselves in these few verses this morning that we might love and adore and praise you for all the reasons here for which Jonah is despising you. Lord, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let me begin here. I'm sure, I'm sure that if you have spent any amount of time serving God, if you haven't already, you will experience seasons of resentment. Even and even particularly resentment you do for God towards God. The more you do for God, the more you start to feel that God owes you. I see this all the time. I see this in my own life. I see this in ministry. A couple examples. Well, I've been doing this and that in the next church or that church for this long God owes me the next step in whatever I think is the next step in my progression. Or maybe God just owes me to let me keep my little kingdom that I've developed here. One example. Second example. I have been faithfully parenting my children. Why God? have you let them do? Like, why are you letting them do what they are doing today? You can look a thousand different ways. One person said, if you stretch yourself out to serve God, don't be surprised if this resentment sneaks up on you. It's a profound mystery. How is it possible to serve God and end up resenting God? Like, how is that even possible? You would think 
that this person serving God would be nothing but full of joy and thanksgiving to God. I mean, even after all the experience of God's grace, all the triumph that Jonah experienced, Jonah was now angry with God. He's not doing anything actually cute going on in this passage, I think, until you get to verse 4. But Jonah is actually literally angry with God because God is compassionate and kind and slow to anger and merciful. Jonah's angry with God for these very things by which he experienced rescue because of. You see, all of us at some point or another... Having been recipients, those of us who have been recipients of God's marvelous grace will struggle with the God we love. How is it that I could become disappointed with God after experiencing so much of this God's grace? How is that possible? Once again, the beauty of a narrative like Jonah is that we get to listen in on this very disappointed man and this conversation that this very disappointed man is having with the God in whom he is very disappointed with. He is resenting the God of grace who saved him, who rescued him. If you can't relate to Jonah in this moment, As Tripp said, you just need to become more honest with yourself. The truth is, much of the time, you and I don't want what God wants. There's not a day that goes by that you do not struggle with what God, the reality that you do not want all the time what God wants. Now, I, I don't want us to confuse the idea of like liking and wanting, right? There's, there's multiple levels happening. I, I'm, I'm going to caveat this just briefly and then move on. But you don't have to affirm that something is good in itself to want what God wants. What I mean by that is you can believe deep down that the cancer that is taking the life of your loved one is the result of the fall and the brokenness of the world. And you don't have to like, like that. Like, you don't have to like that, that result of evil, if you will. But at the same time, you can want the glory that it will produce in your life for the glory of God. You can want what God wants, God's purposes in that situation without liking the the bad or the wrong or the evil or the brokenness that's happening that's on display that's the only caveat i'm going to give but as we walk through this i want you to think we don't always want what god wants we oftentimes don't get excited about what god wants so not just being okay with what what god wants but how often do we not get excited about what god wants Maybe God is showing grace and mercy to someone who has hurt you. And your heart desires nothing else other than revenge and justice. You don't want mercy and grace for them. You see, we become resentful toward God when we fail to want what God wants 
because we don't have the heart that God has. Let me say that again. We become resentful toward God when we fail to want what God wants. And we do this because we don't have the heart that God has. This is right where Jonah's at. So much would change in our relationships alone if we had the heart of God. So much that we wouldn't say. We would just let go. So much that we wouldn't do. There's so much we would say that at this point we're not willing to say. It would transform our relationships if we had the heart of God. Paul Tripp said this, What most of us need is not communication and relational skills. You get your point across just fine. What you need is not a judgmental, condemning heart, but instead a loving, gracious, and tender heart of God. You see, we don't often fail to communicate. We, we communicate usually what's in our hearts very well. The issue is what's inside of our hearts. And you know, Jonah isn't just spouting off to God, having a hard time figuring out what to say to God. What's in Jonah's heart is what's coming out. He means every word of it. The problem is not his ability or his skills in communication. His problem with Jonah genuinely being on display here is that his heart has a problem. And what's genuinely being on display here is that his heart has a problem with God. You see, we are all at risk of resentment toward God when we don't have the heart of God. And I believe this is most clearly evidenced when we simply don't want what God wants. So there's the question. How do we have the heart of God? How do, we, how do we acquire this heart that God's? I don't believe this is the only answer to this question, but this is the answer to this question according to Jonah. Having a heart like God's. Let's start in verse 1. Here we go. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. The first thing I think we learn from Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 is this. Discover the areas where you are disappointed with God. You need to spend time discovering the areas of life that you are disappointed with God. Now, we're going to flesh this out, what this looks like, because I'm sure many of us are going, well, I'm not disappointed with God, because God is good, and He's holy, and He never does anything bad. There are areas you're disappointed with God. We'll press into that as we go. Jonah was disappointed with God. He was upset with God. Jonah knew, listen, the special love of God for his chosen people, the Israelites. Jonah, Jonah knew this. He felt that the special love of God should not be extended to the Gentiles. That's why he was unhappy. That this grace from God should not be shown to these people. Especially these people who were the evil Ninevites. 
Jonah began to distrust God. Jonah was jealous. The reality is, is you have been, just like Jonah, and may always want what God wants. And maybe right now, very disappointed, want something. You don't always want what God wants. And maybe right now, you don't want that God wants for you right now. It's it with God. So where is it you are disappointed with God? Maybe God has decreed a time of suffering for you. Let me ask you, are you joyful in His grace to you in the storm? I'm not saying like, you're like, woohoo, I love this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about this cheery person with a fake smile. What I mean is, are you satisfied in the Lord at peace and rest in what He has given you, knowing it's for your good? Or are you disappointed with God? Why have you done this? God. We've got to spend time being honest with ourselves, particularly concerning this point. Where are we disappointed with God? As I've shared before, I struggled with some some depression at the end of last year. And honestly, as I pressed through that, I realized I was I was simply disappointed with God. I had labored so hard for the good of His kingdom and didn't get the results that I believe should have naturally come. I was disappointed with God and with myself. I was depressed. But it wasn't until I realized that I was disappointed with God that my heart began to move toward deliverance. My issue wasn't with the situation. It wasn't with circumstances. It wasn't with people. It was with God. You see, if we're going to grow a heart like God's, we need to discover the areas where where we are disappointed with the heart of God. Let me say that again. If we are going to grow a heart like God's, we need to discover the areas where we are disappointed with the very heart of God. God is doing. You see, everything God does comes from the heart of God. So if you don't like what God is doing, you're struggling with the very heart of God. Second thing I think we learn here in Jonah is this. Do not rest upon your current seemingly devout faith. Do not rest upon your current seemingly devout faith. Someone said this, we have a tendency towards what they call crisis conversion. Crisis conversion. It's a good thing to think through. Here's what happens. We're in the middle of the crisis, the storm, and for each of us those storms are at different degrees when this happens. And in the middle of the storms, we often develop a serious commitment to the Lord there in the midst. I'm going to do this for the Lord, or I'm going to repent of this for the Lord, or I'm going to go make this ride. I'm going to be committed to these things. Then when the storm dies down, often our faith declines with it. Anybody ever experienced that before? 
Someone said this, we can never rest casually on the conviction that once we have been turned round in life, we shall always remain steadfast in our new direction. The traits of human nature are too deeply ingrained for the steadfast new direction, and instead, it requires our constant attention. I bring you back to this idea. Right, end quote. Let me bring you back to this idea. I got this. I got this. This simple phrase, this simple imp- implication of our actions. I got nothing. This is nothing more than pride presuming upon your personal self-assessment of the current state of your faith. I got this. My seem, I, I seem to be very faithful. I, I'm devout in my faith. And, and so I'm going to proceed on the assurance of that rather than on the grace of God. I'm not better than I was before in the Lord, we say, I'm set to go. And what happens is when that, when that shift takes place, the remainder of our building blocks we add are simply being set upon pride of self. What you see here is this, as someone said, a, a fickle, a little bit f- further. What you see here is this, as someone said, a, a fickle fluctuation. A fickle fluctuation. Jonah's fickle fluctuation between piety and perversity is openly displayed here. This floating back and forth, this wishy-washy. We need to begin with recognizing our own fickleness. We can be so committed to something one day and so not committed to it the next day. We tend to fluctuate. You see, if we realize this, if we recognize our tendency to be fickle, all of us, this should push us toward a spirit of nothing other than humility and dependence on the graces of the Lord. Things like prayer, the Word, the church. Listen, I know many people even in this church, I couldn't tell you the last time they sought counsel, indicating some measure of humility. It just blows my mind. We got this. We got to figure it out. Now listen, I, I'm not saying like this has to be pastors. It's not a, so you have to go talk to the pastors. But in general, like we, we have this like very light prayer life. So maybe we even have a good prayer life and the scriptures, but then we try to do all this on our own, and, and we wonder, like, listen, you're fickle. You're fickle in your prayers. You're fickle in your reading of the scriptures. You're fickle in how you interpret the scriptures and how you respond to the scriptures. We're fickle in community. We fluctuate. The moment we begin to deny the graces that God has in us. It's the moment we begin to deny the graces that God has given us. 
we often, again, assess our current faith and say, I'm good, I'm good to go. And what we see here in Jonah is that this is particularly dangerous for those who are leaders. It's particularly dangerous. Jonah was a prophet. Presuming upon his current seemingly devout faith. What if Jonah would have had someone walking next to him and he was walking in humility and that person next to him, Jonah, what are you doing? Shut up. Sorry, kids. Be quiet. What are you thinking, Jonah? So here's what happens. We, in this state of mind, we proceed to make terrible decisions, leading us down a path from God, and then we get mad at God and others for where we find ourselves. This is what happened to Jonah. I'm good. God, you're wrong. Listen, this is not God's fault. It began the moment you presumed upon your current seemingly devout faith instead of resting in humility on the graces of the Lord. You see, the moment we rest in something other than the grace of the Lord, that very moment, our heart begins to wander away from the heart of the Lord. Let me say that again. The moment we rest in something other than the grace of the Lord, our heart will wander away from the heart of the Lord. You know what this looks like? People who trust in their own ability instead of in humility, depending on the graces of the Lord. Such things as the Scriptures praying, community, so on. Practically, it looks like this. It's a functional walking away from the graces of God, the means of grace. So we got if, if you want to deal with resentment, one of the reasons why we resent God is that we, we rest upon our current seemingly devout faith. Why? Because our confidence is there instead of in the grace of the Lord. Now, all of a sudden, because my confidence is in myself, I somehow have this ability to now look down on God and judge God. Crazy idea. We all do it. I want to skip verse 2 for a moment. I'm going to come back to verse 2 and land the plane there. Verse 3 and 4. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? This third thing I think we should see here is that we should be aware of false nobility. Be aware of false nobility. Right, so you hear the therefore, right? You're always supposed to address the therefore. You should go, what is the therefore, therefore, right? Very quickly, because I want to come back to verse 2. But basically, since you showed, Jonas, Jonah speaking, since you showed such mercy and to the Ninevites, and I think you're wrong in doing so, God, take my life. 
do you hear the absurdity of Jonah here? This is just absurd. So here's the, the imperative for us. We should stop thinking of ourselves as one, as, as one person said, a magnificent martyr for God's cause. Stop thinking of yourself as a magnificent martyr for God's cause. We all struggle with this. This is anti-God's heart. I'm doing this service. I'm doing that service over there. Or I'm fulfilling this role. Or I'm suffering all of this. And for God's for ourselves, this... Here's what happens. If we consider ourselves this magnificent martyr for God's cause, what happens is we become so deceived by our lofty thoughts of ourselves concerning our service that we can't even begin to imagine the idea of being wrong or why others might think of us as deluded. That's where Jonah's at. If you were to go to Jonah right now and say, Jonah, you are crazy. He would look at you like you're crazy. Why? Because he's become become so deluded with his own servitude. He's become so blind. One day a person was doing what he thought was a noble thing. But in reality, this person would ask even, have you ever considered the reality that you could be wrong? This person couldn't even fathom the idea. Couldn't even fathom it. Why? Become so deluded by their own obsession with their apparent nobility. Someone said this, we need a hard-eyed realism as to who we are and what we are doing in order to deliver us from false nobility. False nobility leads to not loving God's plan because it says this, I deserve something else. Can you see how resentment fruits from that? I deserve something else. Why do I deserve something else? Because I'm a magnificent martyr for God's cause. Listen, that could be in parenting. That could be in the workplace. That could be in church. could be with your neighbor. We need to be careful because in our own false nobility, we could also encourage other people in their false nobility. 2nd kind of sub-point here, if you will, is that you can't blame your actions on God. I want to, again, I told you we're going to kind of flesh this out and press into this a little bit more. But you can't blame your actions on God. He says this. He says, do you do well to be angry? What this means is, do you have any right to be angry? Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? See, God had stepped into Jonah's life and rescued him in an unparalleled way. Now God had chosen to show that same mercy to the people of Nineveh. 
And Jonah now was sinfully angry, and to him it was God's fault. Right? I, I'm not pulling this out. of This is why I'm angry. I'm displeased. Why? Because you're a gracious God. I'm angry because you're merciful. I'm angry because you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I'm angry, and it's God's fault. Again, think of the absurdity of Jonah at this moment. But Jonah's here because Jonah shows us how we each act every day. So here's the question. Do you blame God for the sin in your life? Do you blame God for the sin in your life? Now, here, I know, 99.9% of us in this room are saying, no, I don't. I don't. I don't blame God. Okay, hold that thought for a second, okay? If you blame the circumstances surrounding you, if you blame the circumstances, these people made me sin, the stress of my work made me sin, okay? If you blame the circumstances, and God is sovereign over the circumstances, then who are you blaming for your sin? God. Now let me ask the question a different way. How often do you blame your circumstances for your sin? Functionally, we do this all the time. All the time. If you Listen, I'll put it another way. If you try to solve internal issues by fixing external circumstances, you're functionally blaming God for the sin of your heart. And this is precisely what Jonah was doing. Jonah looked to the circumstances. He looked outside of himself and said, I feel this way. I'm justified in doing so because of what you, God, have done. It's just for Jonah, he's actually looking at God and saying, God, you're the reason for my sin. But what was it? It was these circumstances of God's mercy, the circumstances of God's kindness, the circumstances of God's love shown to the Ninevites. That, Jonah is saying, is why I rebelled. That is why I headed the opposite direction. That is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh. God, that's why I'm angry right now. Because the circumstances that you have orchestrated in my life, they're wrong And that's why I'm angry. Look at Jonah's words. Why he believes he is angry and he's justified to be so. Verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? What's he saying right here? He's saying, I chose to rebel against you back when I was in my country. Because I knew these things about you that I have now seen play out. He goes on. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see, maybe God's grace could be a disappointment to you. Maybe God's grace is a disappointment to you. There's kind of two areas we want to think about as we think about this God's grace to you. There's God's grace being shown to people that you don't think God's grace should be shown to. 
Now, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little early. You belong in that camp, too. Right? You didn't deserve it either. There's also God's grace being shown to you in the midst of a storm, in the form of the storm, and you're disappointed with God for it. Let's move forward. Jonah thought God was too slow to anger, too passive in dealing with evil. Maybe you relate. If God would have stopped that evil that happened in my life, then I wouldn't have had to suffer the way I've suffered. Maybe you relate. Jonah, Jonah said, I wouldn't have had to deal with this if you just let the Ninevites be destroyed. Listen, there, if you go read Nahum, you'll see that the Ninevites just, just takes a generation and then a new generation comes that's completely rebellious again and causes all this harm and such. And Jonah knows that that's going to happen. I said, if you just wipe them out now, we wouldn't have to deal with this evil later. Maybe you feel the same way. Listen, grace means this. Grace, I mean, it means, in this application, grace means that God may bless people who have wronged you. People from whose sins maybe you have even suffered. When that happens, you may say, why doesn't God give them what they deserve? Listen, we all have moments when we'd rather have justice than grace. When we'd rather have punishment than forgiveness. That's what Jonah wanted. Punish the Ninevites. Don't show them grace. And that's why I'm angry at you, because you showed them grace. There are many times when we just simply are not on the same page. We just hurt you. Shin plan. You know, that church member just made you mad just hurts you, just upsets you because of legitimate sin in their life. But you're at home thinking, what a wonderful opportunity I have to be an instrument of grace and redemption in God's hands for the sake of that person's eternal benefit. I mean, is that what you're at home thinking? (laughs) Right? No, you're not. You're at home thinking, how can I get more mad at this person? How can I justify the way I feel? How can I make sure justice is served? That's what we're at home thinking. This statement from Paul Tripp really um, hit my heart hard this week. He said this, If your eyes ever see or ears ever hear of sin in another person, it's not by accident. It's never a hassle. It's always grace. God loves that person. He's put them in a relationship with the person of faith so you can be a tool of God's redemption in that person's life. It's always grace. If you ever see, ever hear, it's not a hassle. Whether it's your kids, it's a church member, But it always seems like a hassle, right? It always seems like an interruption, if not to your physical plans for the day, at least to your emotional plans for the day. 
it seems like an interruption. It seems like a hassle. I don't know about you, but for me, it almost always is that way. Tripp goes on to say this. But God makes his invisible grace visible by sending people of grace to give grace to people who need grace. Let me say that again. God makes his invisible grace visible by sending people of grace to give grace to people who need grace. That's what he's doing with Jonah. He showed God, he showed Jonah so much grace and said, now go make it visible to the people of Nineveh. Jonah does. And then now God relents. God changes his, his well, at least from a human perspective, his course of action. He shows them mercy and grace. And Jonah's going, I wish that never would have happened. I knew that would happen, so I didn't want to come. That's not where Jonah is at at all. Jonah does not want to be an instrument of grace in the hands of the grace giver. Instead, what Jonah does, and we too often do as well, is make God's grace sound like a character defect. We make God's grace sound like a character problem with God. You see, those moments, listen, those moments when you're struggling with what God is doing or about to do, whether this is like God showing grace and mercy to another person, or God's grace and mercy shown to you in the orchestration of the events around your life, when we struggle with those, like struggle with God's planning of those and God's orchestrating of those, we often play back those good things of God as if they are ugly. Again, I gave the caveat at the beginning, right? There, I'm not saying like the, the sin or the brokenness in the situation that we like look at those and we glorify those because those are not things to be glorified. What we're talking about is the motive and the plan of those and orchestration of God behind it. We oftentimes look at those and we play those good things back as if they are ugly, as if they're the result of some, some sort of character defect. God, why would you show grace to that person? They don't deserve it. That's the point of grace. They don't deserve it. You're telling yourself in this moment that I know better than God, that my instincts are better than God, my plan are better than God's, my plan is better. And I hope you realize that this is not a good place to be. And yet we spend much of our internal lives in this place. See, Jonah gives us a window into our heart. Jonah is saying this, God, I wish you weren't this way. I wish you weren't this forgiving, this merciful, this gracious. And because you are, I'm angry. But how often do we do the same thing with our actions, our emotions? God, I wish you weren't this way. I wish you wouldn't have done this. I think there's a window into two aspects of our lives. Like, what would have to be true of us for us to do that, for us to say that? I mean, to Almighty God, for us to imply that with our actions, our emotions. I think two things, at least, that we see here from Jonah. The first thing we can see is a window into our heart. God has self-righteousness. Like self-righteousness. That would, that would lead us to judge God as doing something wrong if we think ourselves most righteous. 
One person said this, imagine the measure of self-righteousness, like the, the honing, if you will, of your self-righteousness. Like imagine the measure of self-righteousness necessary to argue that the grace of God isn't a good thing. That's astounding. The second aspect like, that we might see as a window, as we peer in through the window into our own hearts, is this. I mean, this is, again, this is what I think is going on with Jonah. Is that we tend to see others' sins more than our own. We tend to see others' sins more than our own. Listen, I just want to be honest with you. You're in trouble if this is you. You're in trouble if this is you. Here's some fruit of that. Give me some fruit of that. Impatience, frustration, anger maybe, judgment, irritation, condemnation. I mean, they could be fruiting from something else, but those are definitely fruit when you can see other people's sin more than your own. Same thing with parenting, right? If I see my kids' sin more than I see my own, I'm going to be impatient with them. But when I think about the depth of my sin, right, coupled with the, the graciousness of God, right, the mercy shown to me, it tenderizes my heart. And I carry that tenderness to someone else. You see, personal confession fuels missional compassion. Personal confession fuels missional compassion. What does Jonah, I mean, Jonah lacks many things, but one of the things that certainly Jonah lacks that's being implied in this context, sins. Life-altering recognition of the depth of his own sin. Jonah's self-righteousness. He says, I'm mad at your grace. Listen, if you had any sense of God's rescue of your life, you couldn't say that. You just couldn't say that. And Tripp said this, when, when I engage in confession, it reorients my heart to the reality that I am more like this person than unlike them. Why would Jonah think the Ninevites don't deserve the grace of God? Because he does, and they don't. Because I'm righteous, and they're not. Listen, if we understand our own reality, then to condemn someone else is to condemn ourselves. To speak of someone else as not having hope of change and redemption is to speak of ourselves as not having hope for change or redemption. We need to think about this when it comes to repentance. Sometimes we undermine repentance. Just briefly here for a moment. We have to be careful. Because our own repentance can simply be an exercise in self-righteousness. 
Listen, if God's grace makes you angry, in whatever form that looks like, you need to find out why. Jonah's answer came in his prayer in, verse, in chapter 4. Jonah wanted to justify his actions. Like, I'm angry. I, as a matter of fact, Jonah even goes backwards, right? I flew to Tarshish, or fled to Tarshish because, and here's my justification for it. So you see Jonah-like measure of repentance happening in chapter 2. And then now you, for the fleeing to Tarshish, now you see Jonah going backwards and going, well, I originally fled to Tarshish because of this. It was justification. Listen, as soon as you start explaining why you sinned, you just undermine your own repentance. You undermine the entire process of repentance. Deep in your soul, there is an ongoing struggle between repentance and self-justification. You see, it's through the path of self-justification that I can maintain the appearance, or at least the self-perception of self-righteousness. But through repentance is me admitting that I have no righteousness on my own. Repentance says, as someone else said, I will quote them, said this, I did this and I take responsibility for it. I am sorry and I ask for your forgiveness. That's repentance and moving forward, right? Walking that back as we've talked about. But self-justification says you need to understand the reasons why I did this. Let me give you an explanation. Listen, even after confession, even after confession, you might find yourself starting to self-justify. Well, I was under pressure. I didn't know all the facts. What are you trying to do? Right? With that self-justification, I'm trying to conjure up some remnants. I'm trying to restore remnants of self-righteousness. I want to feel good about myself. We have to be careful because we also be undermining someone else's genuine repentance. Like we could feed someone else's self-justification. You ever feel like you have to come to the rescue when someone does something wrong? Like, I have to come explain why they were doing that? Maybe your friendliness could be an affirmation of someone else's self-justification. We've got to be careful and think about these things. But the reality is this. You will not grow in missional compassion until you grow in personal confession. You will not grow in taking the gospel to your children to your neighbors, to your house gathering, to your DNA gathering, to Sunday mornings, to, to the ends of the earth, apart from growing in personal confession. Why? Because personal confession highlights what? The gospel. It says, I am nothing, he is everything. I have no righteousness, he has it all. I'm dependent on him. And when that is the, the posture of my heart, then that is the posture that I take. That's the message I take. Earlier, Jonah saw himself as a sinner at the mercy of God. But now, 
He was in the process of convincing himself that he could explain the wrong things in his life. You see the shifting of Jonah from from accepting his wrongness to blaming God for his sin. God, it's your fault. But a life of confession and repentance leads to a life of missional compassion. See, when I own my sin, when I grieve my sin, it moves my heart towards need for God and His gospel. Right? It's, it's both and. I'm broken. God's not. I'm in need. He has everything. And as I recognize my own brokenness and need for God's gospel, I also move towards others in relation, uh, relationally in compassion. And I then begin to see people as God sees them. Right? If we, this is the issue. We, we have a hard time with the heart of God and how He sees people because we don't see ourselves as God sees us. God sees us as those who were His rebels, broken. And he comes and rescues them. You see, it's so easy to name people as foolish, to look at them as more sinful than me, to be judgmental, irritated, impatient. I wish I had time to give examples here, but we see this with our culture. How much do we engage our culture with nothing more than the same judgmental attitudes of which we're getting on them for? Or we're irritated about them. Or how about with our church family? Or our biological families? It's much easier to just say, well, that's them. Foolish. To be judgmental. To be condemning of them. Uh, in our house gathering and then later in the office, I was having this conversation that one helpful way to like think about Am I being condemning? Am I, am I viewing their, like, uh, maybe sin wrongly? Or am I viewing it rightly? This would be the question. Is it, like, is your heart being moved in compassion, like, towards them in compassion? Or is it being moved away from them in judgment? Like, relationally, what's, it, what's happening? Because one's probably walking in the Spirit and the other one's probably not. It's so easy to name people as foolish and more sinful than I. But you see, the biblical story is what? One of generous and love, patience, kindness, gentleness. John 3.16 says what? That God so loved a bunch of rebels that he gave his only son. Did you hear that? I mean, it doesn't say that literally. You get my point? You couple that with Ephesians 2, and God so loved His enemies that He gave His only Son. Listen, this idea of graciousness towards other people, we're not talking, never like permitting immorality. Like, listen, grace never calls wrong right. Never. Grace never just overlooks wrongness. 
But grace is a way of responding to wrong. Grace moves toward a person with a message of love, forgiveness, and hope. Grace does that. That's what you see they're doing with the Ninevites, right? He doesn't, listen, he goes into Nineveh. He doesn't say what the Ninevites are doing is right, does he? He goes in and says it's wrong and you will be destroyed if you don't turn. And then what happens? They turn. What does, what does Jonah tell us is being shown in that message of destruction? God, that was your grace and mercy and I'm not happy because of it. So grace never calls wrong right. But grace is a way of moving towards the and the person behind it with a message of love and forgiveness and hope instead of moving away in self-righteous condemnation. So let me ask you this question. Are you disappointed with God? I'm sure many of you walked in this morning going, nope. And hopefully now you see that you are. Maybe a place that you are. Does your heart ever not want what God wants? Is that God? Anybody? I struggle with this all the time. I don't want that, God. I don't want it. But Jesus, right? Jesus only ever wanted what the Father wanted. I will but yours. Ha. Not mine is like, yeah, this, but yours. The part. Ha. What he's saying is like, yeah, this, I don't, like, I, there's a part of me that's like, I don't want this, but what I want more is your will, Father. This, this order of desires. I want what you want, Father. Even in the garden. He only ever wanted what the Father wanted. My encouragement to you, church, is to lay yourself at the mercy of the cross. To abide in the Christ on the cross, which is God's most greatest display of generous love. We, we come to God and we say, God, I... I have no righteousness on my own, of my own. I have no ability to make our relationship right. I have no right to stand in judgment over you, Father. Forgive me. Trusting that He will grant forgiveness and clothe you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of God. This greatest display of tenderness and compassion, moving towards a people in love that rejected Him at every turn. That is the heart of God. So are we disappointed with God? Yeah. Lots of places. Lots of times. And it's because we're disappointed with the heart of God. How do we have the heart of God? We turn to the cross. 
We turn to the one who never had anything other than the heart of God. And as we do this, as Tripp said earlier, God makes His invisible grace visible by sending people of grace to give grace to people who need grace. Let's pray. Gracious Father, You have shown us so much grace. Just a drop, just a drop is still more than we deserve. Father, I admit that there are many days when I and I'm sure people in our church look at you, look at circumstances, look at this life and say, God, this isn't right. I don't want this. And certainly, Father, we understand that that you can use wrong things, even those things for your glory. So we don't we're not accepting that this sin is okay that you're using for my good or this brokenness or this ailment, this physical illness is necessarily a good thing in and of itself. But Father, when we say that this shouldn't be for me, that God, you shouldn't have done it this way, that we are standing in judgment over you, Father, and I'm sorry. I hope we are sorry too. Father, will we come humbly to your throne, humbly to the foot of the cross, and say we carry nothing but our own, and whatever you serve me with today, whatever the circumstances may be, they're all for my good. They're all for your glory. As we look at the cross and say and believe that God can take the worst of things and make them into the best of things. Lord, give us the faith to believe that we might turn in repentance. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.